You're listening to The Open Podcasts. Hi, I'm Tom Watson, five-time Open champion. This past weekend, we sadly lost one of our greats of the golfing world, Peter Alice. One of sports' finest broadcasters and one of golf's greatest players in the 1950s and 60s, Peter entertained, informed, and inspired millions of fans around the world for over half a century. Peter's way with words and voice like no other brought so much to the world of golf and especially to the Open Championship. He will be sorely missed, and our thoughts are with his friends and family at this time. And Peter, may your spirit and love for the game live on, and may you rest in peace. Guys like me, turn pro, a five handicap, are not supposed to win the Open. Paul Laurie for a birdie. Oh, he's rattled in a couple of goodies. You're leading a tournament, and without any doubt, I believed in myself. A 68, that's the lowest round of the championship from Van der Velde. I remember watching all of it unfold, and I just sat there thinking, what's going on here? He's out with a driver. Now, I'm not sure this is right. I remember turning around to my caddy and saying, what happened? Where's the ball? When the ball hit the stand and came back short of the burn, we decided to sort of head back in. Now, where is he going now? To the front of the green? Yeah, it must be. I don't believe it. Surely not going to go and climb down in there and try to whack it out of there, no. That would be totally ridiculous. The shoes are coming off. He's going to hike up his trousers. Honestly, you cannot imagine a more dramatic finish to the last Open Championship of this century. Now 18, we've all seen it. Did you see it? This is the story of Paul Laurie winning the 1999 Open Championship at Carnoustie. And what a story of a player who had won on the European Tour, but in no way was considered a major contender. Well, Paul Laurie, right down the centre of the fairway. Beautiful shot. But to tell Laurie's story, you also have to tell this story. This Frenchman with the Open Championship at his mercy, standing on the 18th tee. And let's not forget that a man from Texas had a big part to play as well. Justin Leonard. That was for a birdie at the third. As ever, there were some huge names competing for the claret jug that year. On tee, Tiger Woods. Europe's number one. Colin Montgomery there, sharpening his putting up for the day. I'm Steve Ryder, and I'm going to take you through one of the most incredible Opens in history. I was presenting the coverage for BBC Television and was witness to an Open where one man played out everyone's golfing nightmare, whilst another saw his life transformed overnight. And this to finish 3-3 in the playoff here at Canoostie would be something to tell the grandchildren. Our story begins in July at Downfield Golf Club on Scotland's east coast. Paul Laurie is playing there in the hope of qualifying for the Open. The extra incentive for him is that golf's original major is being held at Carnoustie, his local Open venue. He makes it through the qualifier but can't find any accommodation nearby, so he commutes an hour each day from his home in Aberdeen. After qualifying, you know, we, we looked into accommodation. Obviously, that late in the week, accommodation was kind of pretty booked up in, in Carnoustie. Finances weren't that great, so renting a house for the week was not really an option. I'm only just over an hour from there anyway, so I decided to stay at home. I mean, it was perfect because our oldest, Craig, was four and Michael was only six months. So I stayed at home, sleeping in my own bed for the week, which was very nice. Paul Laurie is our hero for this podcast, but when you think of 1999, you think of Jean van der Velde. Specifically, that iconic image of the Frenchman with his socks off in the Barry Burn. No, Jean, please, would somebody kindly go and stop him? Jean, though, is an impressive guy, a golfer that oozes charm and class. He's a joy to interview, and he possesses a brilliant short game. The 14th, Van der Velde, for an eagle, and he's done it! Like Paul, he reached the Open as a qualifier. So did he truly believe he had a chance of winning the Claret Jug? Well, I think, you know, every professional athlete, no matter what he does, goes to, I, I like to hope, goes to uh, an event with, with in mind wanting to win. So that's, that's one thing. Now, are, are the things going to go by? You know, there was some, I mean, the field, you don't have to describe who's there to play in the Open. So I would say that I would be more humble than that. I was, uh, you know, I knew that I could, uh, I could compete. I knew I could play well. You know, where would that bring me? I, you simply have no idea. 
The Open was back at Carnoustie for the first time since the evergreen Tom Watson won there in 1975. It's an iconic open venue and a devilish beast of a course. Duncan Weir was an RNA official in 1999 and admits there's a reason the Angus Lynx became known as Car Nasty that week. Yeah, you're right to say there was a lot of chat during the week, a little bit of criticism that the setup was very tough, but it is the Open Championship and it is Carnoustie, known for its difficulty and particularly so over the closing holes where the Barry Burden plays such a prominent part. And at the end of the day, I didn't hear Paul Laurie complaining that it was too difficult. So I think Carnoustie has a fearsome reputation and one that it deserves. And it was difficult, but so it should be. And how delighted the locals are to see the Open back at Carnoustie, the first since 1975. The players have all been predicting that this very tough course will uh, mean that par definitely counts for something. you got to remember here that par is a great score, no matter what. Power will not hurt you. Power is like, it's like gold around here. And if you can grab a few diamonds with a few birdies, then, then you take them. But put one power after another power after another power, and you'll see that at the end of the week, you'll be up there. I mean, it was severe. It was probably slightly overdone, but it was what it was. I and mean, there's, no, there's no point in crying about it. There's no point in moaning about it. You know, you're going to have to play it. But when I read a lot of the comments, you know, in practice rounds, it was great because you kind of felt that some of the players were taking themselves out of it straight away. Just like Paul, the fans were also sensing a special championship. Christian Law Wilde travelled to Scotland with friends from Cheshire, whilst Alan MacDonald from East Lothian arrived with his two sons. I'd heard in the news how tough it had been and the players had been calling it Carnasty. But coming from staying in Gullin in East Lothian and playing on a Lynx golf course, I'm used to seeing golf courses with lots of thick rough, so it didn't look that bad for me. But little did we know how exciting it would be. The course itself, as a spectator, was immaculate. The new hotel that had been built behind the 18th was superb compared to the old clubhouse that they used to have in the 70s when it was last at Carnoustie. But the general setup of the course as a spectator was exceptional. Thank you very much and welcome everyone on this breezy day. And we're going, if this winter continues to see, a lot of very frustrated golfers today. So here we are, Thursday the 15th of July, day one of the 1999 Open. Teenage sensation Sergio Garcia shoots a humbling 89. Sergio having a very, very tough day. Plus 15. Reigning Open champion Marco Mira hits a brace of triple bogeys. He looks as though he's lost that right and this could be in big trouble. World number one Tiger Woods, however, manages to stay in the hunt. Oh, four for Tiger. Round of 74. That was just three shots off Australia's Rod Pampling, who hits 11 consecutive pars to become the first round leader. This is Pampling's return putt for par at the 18th, and that's well hold. And a 71. But don't get too excited for Rod. He became the first opening round leader to go on to miss the cut. Paul Laurie, meanwhile, goes under the radar on that first day, but a two-over par round makes him the top Scot, ahead of Colin Montgomery and Andrew Coulthard. Now, Scotland's Paul Laurie, even par at the sixth. And Laurie remains level and a good start. 1997 Open champion Justin Leonard also recorded a 73 on Thursday, and he was convinced that Carnoustie suited his style. I just remember that I was going to do everything I could not to make a, a big number. You know, if you miss the fairway, just get it back in play figure out a way to make a bogey, you know, maybe give yourself a chance for par, but try not to make worse than bogey. And it was one of those weeks where you just had to be really patient and, and kind of understand that you were going to make some bogeys. Jean van der Velde doesn't merit any real attention after a four over par 75 on day one, but his performance on Friday was a different story. He got it. A 68, that's the lowest round of the championship from van der Velde, 34 both ways. Very nice indeed, and he takes the lead in the championship at one over par. Uh, will anybody beat that, I wonder? Yeah, 68 was uh, quite, quite special. First of all, I, well, it goes without saying, I played extremely well. I didn't only make putts, but I converted as well. I mean, the putt I made on 16, I, I hit a, you know, I, I kind of remember I had something like 245 to the, to the flag, and I hit a six iron 265. So I was on the back edge, basically. I mean, that's how far the ball was going from, you know, with the wind helping, obviously, and with the turf being so firm. So the ball you, you was going miles, 
and then I made that 60-footer there. Magnificent putting stroke. An unbelievable putting stroke. I was in three under par uh, because I birdie 14 as well. That's, you know, compared to the Friday, there's already, there's six shots there. So, you know, you go from, from 74 to 68 in, in basically 45 minutes. So many big name players missed the cut. Masters champion Jose Maria Olazabal, five-time Open champion Tom Watson. Nick Faldo missed the cut at an Open for the first time in his career. Well hold for the three-time Open champion, but a very disappointing plus 15 for two rounds. Another who didn't make it to Saturday was European Tour pro and Van der Velde's good friend, Mark Ferry. I missed the cut, I don't know, by one or two shots. The, the cut was very, very high. But, yeah, I stayed around mainly because it was interesting for me to see the best players in the world performing on a very, very difficult Carnoustie that year. Uh, and also because Jean van der Velde, a very good friend of mine, you know, was playing extremely well. Over the weekend, the conditions, you know, was a bit tougher and Jean was still playing extremely well. I mean, he's putting. He was putting like a devil. I mean, he was, he was making monstrous putts. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is he was playing very, very well and he was comfortable which is something that I did not expect because the French players would never been so close to winning a major event. So at, at one stage, I, I imagine the pressure would be too difficult to handle. Jean carries on with his Carnoustie artistry on Saturday. He isn't just playing well, he's playing some of the best golf of his life. Our championship leader by three, Van der Velde here at the 14th, two putts from this huge distance for his par, or one, or... <laughs> A scargo for everyone. Leonard, Parry, Tiger Woods, Coltart, David Frost, they're all up there. But Jean is so far ahead he can barely see them, especially after this on the 18th green. Look at it go, look at it go. <laughs> Would you believe it? It never looked anywhere else. Viva la France. Oh, I bet the others are saying, quel dommage. I mean, I've seen a few things in my time, but this lad's performance today has been amazing. Five-shot lead. You know, I birdied, I birdied the hole on Friday, birdied the hole on Saturday. And I hit it to half hours, it 20 feet maybe on, on Saturday, but yeah, pretty strong and, uh, and happened to be leading. As for Laurie, a solid round of 74 on Friday kept him four shots off the lead, but a slog of a Saturday afternoon leaves him on a huge 10 over par, tied for 13th going into the final day. Laurie, for a four, drove it in the bunker. Oh, over the doubloon. 76. I played very well the first couple of days. Saturday was a poor day, didn't play very well Saturday. But I was still, even with that score, I think I was 13th or something going into the final round after 73, 74, 76. So it shows you how tough the course was. You know, you're top 15 in a tournament and, you know, you're 10 over par, you know, for your three rounds. It showed you the level of difficulty that the course was. So it was what it was. I didn't play great Saturday, but you get what you get. While the focus of the media, including ourselves, was understandably on van der Velde and the big guns, one journalist was following Laurie's progress throughout. Alison Walker was reporting for BBC Scotland in 1999. Paul we interviewed after every round. While everybody else was focusing on what was happening at the top of the leaderboard more, we were focusing on Paul on the course. So we knew how well he was playing on that final day. And I think the cameras, the BBC cameras only picked him up maybe after hole nine or 10, but he'd already been doing really well. So we were well aware that he was potentially getting closer. And so in our mind, he didn't come from nowhere because we, we saw he was having a good final round. Hello once again from Carnoustie for one of the great days on the world sporting calendar, the final day of the Open Championship, the 128th Open. And today, around 30,000 people expected once again, and all of those people wondering whether the little-known Frenchman, Jean van der Velde, can hold on to the five-shot lead he holds going into today's final round. He leads by five from Craig Parry of Australia and Justin Leonard, the champion two years ago, both at five over par. Tiger Woods, David Frost and Andrew Coltart, all at seven over. Paul Laurie didn't even get a mention on Sunday morning, 
Fair enough, he is ten shots off the lead, and that kind of gap had never been overhauled in any major, let alone the Open. And whilst van der Velde's focus is on keeping his nerve, Laurie's aim is very different. Someone mentioned to me on, uh, on the morning that the top four finishers from you know the Open will get a game in the Masters, so... I was 13th. I thought that top four was kind of maybe a little bit ambitious, but that was the goal. You know, if I could get, I would love, I've always wanted to play in the Masters. I'd always wanted to play in the Open. And, you know, and I think that those two are the two majors that, you know, if Sandy Lyle, I think, has got it absolutely perfect where he can play in the Open and he can play in the Masters most of his career, that's the one for me. So that was the goal, top four, setting off on that Sunday morning, yeah. I felt calm, but I felt very excited at the same time. I didn't sleep much that night, like you can imagine. I think, you know, I, I did the, the toast trick uh, like this, flipping over in the bed for quite a long time. I slept about four hours, I think. The excitement, the adrenaline, you know, in, in my veins, the projection, the whatever, you know, everything that rushed through your head when you're not in the action strike me like it will do even the most experienced player. But uh, I thought that if the condition were going to remain the same, it would be very hard for somebody to catch me because the weather was brutal. So there was not many 68, 67, 66 to contemplate at all. Well, you know, we, we know what happened on Sunday. The wind, first of all, there was very little wind or it changed direction. It changed 180 degrees. It was into our face on 18 instead of straight down. But it was a complete different mood and the golf course played differently. So, you know, there was room for anyone to have a good round there. Now, championship leader, Jean van der Belt. Jean van der Belt. No one was sort of like taking the tournament by the scruff of his neck until this unknown Frenchman appeared and we started following him and his whole attitude and him and his caddy were joking all the time and it was almost like the crowd had chosen this lad as the lad that they wanted to win because I don't think any of the top favourites were really there. With Vandeville being so far ahead, I mean, I said to my older son, having been at Burkdale last year and uh, seeing the playoff, with Vandeville being so far ahead, there's, there's no chance we'll see a playoff this year, little did they know. But before we get into the detail of one of golf's greatest dramas, it's worth reminding you of why Laurie was such an outside bet. The Scot didn't take golf seriously until he was 16. He'd won just two European Tour events before 1999. But on that Sunday, he saw his chance. He teed off 90 minutes before Vandervelde and makes three birdies and just one bogey on the front nine. Laurie at the eighth. Oh, he's rattled in a couple of good ones. Hold on, ball. The world's media are hoping that Tiger would make a move, but soon all the recognised superstars were losing touch. No, Tiger Woods, he has to hold us to just drop one shot at the 12th. And keep a six off your card, he couldn't. Laurie knew that he was doing something right when our cameras started focusing on him. I had a, I had a nice second shot in at 12 from the left-hand rough. I think it was about a six, five or a six iron or something. I hit that into about four feet, knocked that in for a birdie. I was certainly aware of the TV cameras appearing for the first time around about 12 fairway. And then they followed us obviously all the way in. So you can tell that I'm not a big leaderboard watcher. I'm not, I, I, I watch them and I look at them if they're there. It doesn't put me off. It doesn't G me up. But it's nice to know your position. I've not been someone who, oh no, I'm not looking at leaderboards to sleep. I'm not like that. I like to know what's going on. So that was that was certainly very nice. And uh, we had about six holes to go uh, with the cameras coming round with us. And there was more people appearing. So that's what's going to happen. Oh, Laurie, after that glorious second shot of the difficult 12th, this for birdie. Nicely done. Things are a change. That birdie on 12, followed by a couple more on 14 and 17 take him to six over par. Paul was playing the best golf of the week, but he has no idea that a fortunate bounce over the Barry Byrne on the devilishly difficult final hole would take him so far. I birdied 17, and then obviously 18 is, is just another hole that's mega tough, and I pulled it off the tee. I was in the left-hand rough. We didn't have a good lie. It was sitting down. We had leaderboard are obviously right there, and I could see, I think I was three or four behind at that point in time when I was on 18th fairway. So we decided that, you know, we might never have this opportunity again. Paddy Byrne was carrying for me and we decided to have a goal. Hopefully the ball would come out decent. And it came out a little low and it pitched short of the burn and hopped over the burn and jumped the burn. 
into the front hand bunker. Now Paul Laurie second at the 18th. It is tee shot into the rough and that will leave him with a very difficult second shot over the Barry Byrne. Yeah, he likes it. Oh, did he get lucky. He was so lucky, although he's in the bunker. And I had a beautiful bunker shot out to about sort of five or six feet and tapped in for par. But um, you probably wouldn't take that shot on unless you really, really had to. It was not a great lie, but I got extremely lucky there by hopping the burn at 18, which is always pleasant. Get in. So Paul Laurie pars the 18th for a fine 67. Whether you finish second or third or fourth or fifth, you know, you're trying to win every week that you play. We could have obviously made four by laying up, but we were trying to make three. We were trying to get the ball to come out a little bit squirty and jump just over the burn and release up the pin. But I made a great four, and I kind of, when I hold the putt, I have a little bit of a fist bump to myself a little bit. I, you know, I was obviously extremely happy because I thought that was top four for the Masters. That's what that was about. That wasn't about that I thought that I had a chance to win. I kind of felt that I had achieved my goal for the day, and that was to get a game in the Masters by finishing top four. Lowest round of the day and equals the low round of this championship. Our leader in the clubhouse, Scotland, Paul Laurie. I'm sure Paul would admit himself he wouldn't have had any inkling at that time that that par wouldn't just give him a, a great finish but would actually give him an opportunity to win the Open in a playoff just two hours later. So a little bit of fate. Um, I've never ever seen a ball bounce that burden before or since. And uh, that sticks in my mind. Uh, history in the making, you might say. Yeah, to shoot for him to par around here, even with no wind, is lovely. I can't see six over winning, but you never know. I mean, those finishing holes are just so tough. What about Jean van der Velde, leading by five as he began his final round? He's paired with Craig Parry, who's tied second alongside Justin Leonard on five over par. The Australian is playing like a man possessed and he's piling on the pressure. Three bogeys and no birdies for Jean on his first holes. And that sees Parry draw level on the 10th. Then on the 11th... As we watch van der Velde, who would dearly love to hold this butt for a par. So another bogey will go on his card and that would make him three over for the day. So I think we're pretty certain to have a, an outright leader in a moment on this green, but it won't be this young man. It'll be the more experienced Craig Parry. But a spectacular collapse from Parry on 12 halts his charge. Oh, and just pull that putt. That's a triple bogey seven for our leader. He goes to five, and we have a new leader. Once again, Jean van der Velde from France, our leader. Another attack on Jean was to come. Justin Leonard's birdie at the 14th moved him into a tie for the lead. But Jean was still feeling confident. Well, I think I was playing pretty much the same way that I was, except the condition were not difficult. So obviously what I was doing mm. was not enough. You know, when you make a bogey here, you make a bogey there, you, it's going to affect you a little more. And was I playing? Was I, was I putting as well? Yes, I think I was putting pretty well. Uh, I was playing quite well, very well, I have to say. But uh, I hit a, a few more iron shots and, uh, and that showed. As of, you know, if you had a good run on Sunday because of the condition, you could really post a good score. 10, 11, 12, difficult stretch. But I, I knew that if I could keep my nerves and, and play from 13 onwards around power, then nobody was going to catch me. A bogey at 15 for Leonard means that Jean van der Velde is two shots up with three holes to play. Jean's pars on 15, 16 and 17 mean that the Open Championship is surely in his hands. Well done. We will at least have a three-shot lead now going down the last hole. Then I'm just going to be fascinated how he's going to play the 18th. He's on the brink of becoming the first Frenchman since Arnaud Massy in 1907 to win the Open. He must have been feeling the pressure of history, at least. Yeah, as the day's progressing, uh, you're leading a tournament and, and without any doubt. And, you know, that's why the press is here as well. You know, they tell you, oh, do you know who was the last Frenchman to win uh, the Open? I said, yes, I know. It was about, uh, you know, 100 years ago. So uh, everything that goes with it, but, you know, that's part of our lives as well. This mm. is something that you have to try to handle the best you can. One of the great dangers of Vandervelt now is not to be carried away by the adulation of the multitude before the job is done. 
Justin Leonard arrives at the 18th just before Jean van der Velde. The American is still two shots off the lead on five over par. And remember, Paul Laurie is sat in the clubhouse on six over. Leonard isn't thinking about Laurie, though. He's got Jean in his sights. I did. I did. I knew I was two back, and I heard applause. He was on 17, which is right across the way, and, and I heard applause after he hit his second shot. So I knew he'd hit it on the green. Figure, okay, I've got to make birdie. And I was in the left rough, but had a, a had an okay lie. I don't remember what my yardage was, but I just remember thinking, okay, if I'm going to make a birdie, I've got to hit three wood here and hope it comes out well, hope I can get lucky and, and get it up there either on or around the green where I can either, you know, make a putt or chip it in. And uh, obviously I didn't pull it off. This is a brave effort here. He must carry the burn. 200 yards to carry the burn or one to jump it and he's in it. He threw caution to the wind. If he was going to win the championship, he felt certain he had to make a three. And now he might scramble out of it with a five. You know, at that point, a little dejected. But I thought, OK, Paul Laurie is in the clubhouse. Let's get this up and down and, and you know, tie for second. So hit a good pitch from, you know, whatever it was, 40, 50 yards. Made the putt. And now here is Justin Leonard for his five. And in doing that, he gets a five. He and Paul Laurie of Scotland. And there's Paul Laurie practicing away, maybe anticipating the possibility of a playoff. How about that then? The lone figure. Jean stands on the par four 18th tee, three shots clear. If he keeps his composure, the claret jug is his. Now what to do? What to do? A six will do. And surely this is, as indeed it was at the beginning of the day, Van der Velde's championship to lose. What happened over the next 30 minutes was quite incredible. We all thought the championship was over, so I will step aside for the next few minutes so you can listen to how that infamous 18th hole played out. He's out with a driver now. Now, I'm not sure this is right. Although he's had a four and two threes on this hole. The 18th hole at Kaunusti, I mean, you, you have danger everywhere. I mean, you, you can hit a rescue, but he, or, or we, we saw Padraig do that uh, with, with no wind, with perfect condition. But you still have water down around the inside. You still have water just short that you have to carry, which is about 200 yards. Three bunkers down the right, very narrow fairway. You were at the 18th green, near the front of the green, sort of hanging over the barriers at the side. We got there early just to watch it. I think it was just a question of running down the clock because he, he literally was expected to, at worst, get a six, really. Oh, 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 you lucky little rascal. And that bounced and seemed to go way to the right. Oh, you can certainly see a white thing down. It was a mile to the right. Amazingly, he's missed the whole of the world, really. He's missed the very burn on the right-hand side, but again, he's in perfect spots. Having the luck of a champion. I don't think that was, a, that was the most dramatic things I could have done on that hole. And I happened to get away with it. So I'm out there and the ball is lying perfect. Now, Pushed it a little bit, about 10 yards, fine, but what happened from there was quite incredible. Well, the greatest prize in golf is waiting to be plucked, and all I've got to do is get it up the fairway. Trouble on the right, out of bounds on the left, water in front, and there's no point in him flashing it at the green, but I think he might be. He is. I would advise him to play safe and left. He's three shots ahead. Here he goes. He started it a little bit down the right-hand side. It's going to be in the thick rough, I think, down the right. And I remember watching all of it unfold, and I just sat there in awe, like everybody else, thinking, you know, what's going on here? I don't believe this. Well, what is going on here? Let's have a look where he is. He's still short of the burn. Is he short of the burn? He bounced back off the stand. I think, really, if anybody needs an advisor, he does at this moment. Can you believe that? Now he's got to pitch up. When you hear the noise and when you hear the crowd react, you're like, I remember turning around to my caddy and said, what happened? Where's the ball? <laughs> he couldn't see it, of course, but mm. you know, the bang and you hear, oh, ah, ah, and you're like, what? 
You can see it start to the right of the clock. Never crossed my mind he was going to clatter into the grandstand and hit the face of the grandstand and bounce backwards, which is extraordinary. The ball hit the grandstand, went in the hazard, ricochet from there and get another 40 yards back. Uh, let's, let's remember that. That's quite, you know, that's, I mean, statistically, it's, that is not going to happen every day. Well, Vandervelde still has the luxury of four shots. If he gets a six, that's a double burger that'll put him to plus five. Now, where is he going now? He's going out left to the front of the green. Yeah, it must be. Here he goes. Oh, and he's put it into the burn. He has put it into the burn. Would you believe it? This is so, 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 so sad and so unnecessary. This could end up with a, a playoff between Laurie and Leonard and he not even involved in it. Well, we've seen a few miscues and mishaps in our golfing careers, but oh, show, show, show. People have asked me over the years, would you do something different? Yeah, I would play the third shot differently. You know, the shot that I try to, to take on from there. I don't want to hit it too hard and then you don't hit it hard enough and then I go in the burn and I'm like, all right, well, the, the hole is not over, <laughs> that's for sure. So as I, as I walked forward, I could see half of the, I mean, the ball was sitting on the sand. And then he's, he's surely not going to go and climb down in there and try to whack it out of there. No, no, that would be, that would be totally ridiculous. And half of the ball was outside of the water. So I'm going to go and play. I mean, it's just a bunker shot. I mean, it's really, literally, there's nothing to it. Now, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? Now we're seeing him getting into the burn itself. Hello, here we go. The shoes are coming off. He's going to hike up his trousers. This, honestly, you cannot imagine a more dramatic finish to the last Open Championship of this century. Never seen anything like it. I just hope to goodness that he's making the right decision here. The cameras are rushing into position to get this. Oh, these are unbelievable scenes. They really are. The thing is that the reason he's doing it is because he can see that half the ball is actually above the surface of the water and he thinks he might be able to move it out of there. Now, I don't know. We've, many of us have tried these kind of shots, but he's going to sink deeper and deeper. It's all silty down here and I don't think he's going to last very long. Now, the problem was by the time I went around, took my shoes off and went in, the tide was coming up, but I, you, you have to witness how the tide comes up and how the water goes in. It goes like, you know, if you, if you open the tap uh, at home and, and you look at the water going in, that's, that's the speed it's coming in. I've never seen anything like it before, and to attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure madness. Now, this is a total mistake. This could be one of the saddest uh, moments in sport. He must, he should pick up, go back, drop, Get it on the green, get a six, get in the playoff. Two to three minutes, the ball is about an inch under the water. And from there, with that wall in front of me, there's, there's no way I can need it out accurately, you know, being sure I'm going to get it out. So I decided, you know, after my little escapade in the water, I decided to pick it up and, and to drop it. I, I didn't have any, any other choice. He's decided to take a drop, and I'm sure that's the sensible option. But again, now the problem arises, where does he drop it? But it was gave a great moment for the, the photographers anyway. That's going to be splattered across the pages tomorrow, I have no doubt. Lots of stewards started running towards the, and then cameramen as well, trying to get photos of it. So it was just weird. And then folk round about were saying, what is he doing? You know, it's just people were saying, can't believe what we're seeing here, taking his shoes and socks off. But now it's, it's going to take a little bit longer while he goes through a drying routine. He's got, a, got the towel out and he's going to dry his tootsies and get his shoes and socks back on again. I don't think I've ever seen such a bad judgment at any time in any game of golf I've ever watched. Have a drop and yeah, not a good angle. Mm. A lot of grass still around, bunker to have to hit it over, you know, you don't really play left. Again, the lot of bounce come quickly. So, you know, I'm trying to take it on, take it on the flag, but if I'm in the bunker, I know I can make up a down from it. Here it is, this is his fifth shot then, and he lofts it. Oh, and he's put it in the bunker. He's put it in the bunker. They played a similar shot to the one he plucked into the bird. He just didn't accelerate through. Now, down in two from the bunker to force a playoff or get his forces way into the playoff. Craig is about three, four feet ahead of me. So Perry in the bunker for two. And, and he says, well, listen, I'm going to give you a little more time. I'm going to get out of your way. And he actually 
he holds that bunker shot, as you know. As Craig Parry splashes out his bunker shot, beautiful shot. Oh, yes! I, don't, I really don't believe what we're seeing here. Craig Parry holds his bunker shot, having waited around for 15 minutes or so for the pantomime that we've been watching out here. I mean, really, I mean, the guy hits a shot you need to win the Open, and he hits it in front of you from basically the identical point. And you go, okay, now, and I, and I remember, you know, uh, I remember smiling and looking up, like, like thinking, anything else you're going to throw at me today? Again, you know, what's the odd? I'm going to make it following him. I think it's pretty slim. So, <laughs> so I was kind of, you know, kind of smiling and, and going, all right, well, you know, here you go now. It's, it's in your hand. Got to make up it now. Justin Leonard, 20 minutes ago, must have thought, well, that's it. My chances have gone. There aren't many moments like that in sports where you just go, okay, I mean, it must have taken 30 minutes to play because of the drops and things like that. And there I was right in the middle of it. And, and finally, after he chips it, his, hits his fifth shot into the bunker, I thought, okay, we're, he's got to get this up and down. You know, if he doesn't hold it, I'm going to be in a playoff whether he gets it up and down or not. When the ball hit the stand and came back short of the burn, we decided to sort of head back in. And as we were in the buggy, we were driving past the BBC compound where Dougie Donnelly was sitting, watching it, and he had then pitched in the burn from the rough while we were driving back in the buggy. So Dougie, Dougie sort of grabbed us and said, man, you want to watch this? What's going on here? So then when he pitched it in the bunker then from there, uh, that was when Adam said, right, we need to go and get you something else to eat. We need to go and hit a few parts. You're going to be in a playoff with Leonard. He didn't think that that Jean would even be in the playoff because he had a really, really tricky bunker shot from there. This could become very sad indeed. This is for the Open Championship. Out the ball comes. It's on its way now. It's not going to go in the hole. In fact, he's left himself a very nasty, could be something like six feet. Well, you know, first, the, the, the bunker shot was was okay, you know, it was half decent. I mean, considering everything, it was it was a pretty pretty good effort. But I'm about, yeah, I'm a boy, was I seven feet away, eight feet away? We're going to hold this to get in the playoff. And as I looked at it, my, my caddy as well looked at it with me, and, and, uh, and I said, I, I got it, I got that one. And he goes, you sure? I say, yes, I'm sure. This is for a seven. Please give him one good putt. I've seen it, but I'm not sure I believe it. Peter is going to go down in memory. Standing over the putt, you know, sometimes you go, okay, well, you got this, you know, this pressure, this fear, this whatever, that, that kind of numb you, and you can make it or you can miss it. Sometimes you do make it, but, but here I, I didn't have that. It was like, you know, I, I could see it exactly, and I put it in through. And how courageous he was to finish the job off, even if it was for a seven. To actually make the playoff, he hold what must have been a six foot putt to get into the playoff. And he gathered himself and, he, and under the circumstances, I mean, he was very composed. And by the time he reached the 15th tee to begin the playoff, you know, he was ready to go again. I was the one that ran to Paul, because I was listening in my headphones. I ran to Paul and saw him and Adam on the putting green. And because we've got this kind of relationship with Radio Scotland, he knows us and he, and he talks to us. And I went, Paul, you're in the playoff! You're in the playoff! And he was calm as anything, as was Adam. And they just put their heads down, looked at each other and carried on putting. And I was so excited because I thought, oh my goodness, we potentially have a Scottish winner of the Open Golf Championship. A three-way playoff it will be for Lurie. Van and Justin Leonard starting at the 15th. You listen back to it, you know what happened, but it's still so difficult to take it in. Even a double bogey would have won Jean the Open. Anyway, it's now dark, it's raining, and we're into a three-man playoff. Everyone is mentally drained, especially Jean van der Velde. It's pouring with rain out here. French tears, probably. It's not so much a cooling down, because physically I, I, I didn't feel it, but it's when, you know, the, the gate in your brain opens, i.e. do you have enough time to process what happened? 
and that's fine you can go you can analyze you can decide you can verbalize you can do whatever you want and then you put it behind you or you just don't have enough time and then the, the gates still open and it's and it's very hard to move on so i was i was in that in that area there where there was way too much time for me in between the signing of the card and the playoff and not enough to process it a three-way playoff it will be Paul Lurie, Jean van der Velde and Justin Leonard starting at the 15th. I must confess I was partially responsible for the fact that the playoff started on the 15th hole and not the first and uh, the championship committee of the day agreed that that might be a good place to start. Getting a little bit messy now getting all these players uh, out the far end of the course. We had enormous grandstands on those holes and we would be able to start in relative peace without as many people around on the 15th tee as would have been the case at the first. But what we didn't realise as we headed out to the 15th tee was that the souvenir hunters had beaten us to it. And when we got there, there was nothing there. So I actually took my golf shoes off at one point uh, with a view to using them as the tee markers. But thankfully for everyone concerned, not least the players, we were rescued when, when the green staff turned up with tee markers and the various bits and pieces of course furniture that we needed to start the playoff. Justin Leonard just tuning up. He didn't believe for now. I wonder if he's thinking maybe I should have uh, laid up at 18. It was very hard to get back in that mindset. And it was strange because nobody was expecting a playoff. So we went out to the 15th tee and there was literally nobody there. It, you know, nobody was expecting that. You know, there's times when you can kind of prepare for it and get in the mindset. But for me, you know, the disappointment on 18 and then to try and turn around and get back in, in kind of a competitive mindset. Laurie had finished his brilliant round over an hour earlier, but now it's time to focus once again. His coach and friend, Adam Hunter, who sadly died from leukemia in 2011, played a crucial role with the playoff about to get underway. We were driving out in the buggy to the playoff, and obviously I was extremely nervous, as you can imagine. You've now got an opportunity to win the biggest event in the world, to be fair. Now there's uh, Adam Hunter in the, in the deep blue sweater there. He's the coach of Paul Laurie, and he's given up tournament play to spend his time on practice ground. Paul Laurie being now called to make his way to the 15. So when we're going out in the buggy, Adam obviously kind of thought, oh, man, he's a bit, he's not sure of this. So he, he asked me to, when the players are on the tee, make sure and look at their faces when you get there. So he knew straight away that they would be nervous, that they would be struggling because it's the biggest event in the world. It's now starting to rain. It's getting a little colder. It's not going to be easy. He probably thought, right, if he looks at them and they're nervous, that's going to make him feel better. But he was 100% spot on because when Leonard got on the tee, man, he didn't look, he didn't look too good. You know, he'd won the Open in 97. He felt he was up against two guys who probably shouldn't have been there. In the first place, we had no right to be there with our CVs at that point in time. So he felt maybe under pressure of the three to, to win it. And when Jean appeared, he'd lost his visor. He didn't have his visor. He'd left it in the recording area. Now he's discarded his uh, sun visor, which he's worn with great panache all week. So he was looking for his visor. He'd gone to the back of the tee. He put a, a, a policeman's helmet on. He was joking about with the crowd with the policeman's helmet on. And straight away, I thought, man, you're trying to hide your nerves here. So I thought Jean was obviously what had just happened. His head must have been must have been sort of scrambled. Number one. Number one. Yeah. You have your honour. Okay. okay. So now is that another little omen? Jean Valdevelde has uh, drawn number one. If you watch the footage, you know I'm just standing under my brolly. I'm not speaking. I'm not doing anything, I'm focused, I'm just waiting for my turn to play. I was nervous on the 15th tee, but apart from that, I felt absolute and total control in the playoffs and probably knew straight away that I was going to win the Open on that 15th hole. The playoff was a war of attrition. They all struggle on the 15th. None of our trio play that first hole very well. Bogies for Paul and Justin, while Jean's suffering just went on. Well, that's a six. Two shots dropped at the first playoff hole, but the others aren't going to be better than five. They all bogey the 16th. Oh, Laurie's in the driving seat now. The agony continues. 
It's the third playoff hole where Paul makes his move. This is for the lead, and what a cheer if this goes in. He's done it. And the drama goes on and on and on and on. Bernie's 17 was obviously very, very important. When Jean hold his, he sort of looked over in my direction and sort of gave it a bit of a fist bump. Can you believe this, Peter? Well, every extraordinary. Um, one minute it's a nightmare, and the next it's magic. It's quite extraordinary. The rain's lashing down. Van der Velt's one minute he's in the bushes, that he's getting birdies on the most difficult hole of the course. When I hold mine right behind him, I certainly looked at him and gave him a fist bump. He claims that he wasn't he wasn't doing that on purpose. That I was. He just happened to be looking in my direction, but I'm not having. I mean, honestly, God, we've always gotten on really, really well. It was light-hearted. You're both trying to win the Open, you're in the playoff, it's pouring rain, and you're having a chuckle going to 18th tee about that. That's what it's all about. Well, Paul Laurie, he's hitting driver, 487-yard par four. Paul is now standing on the 76th hole with a one-shot lead. His drive leaves him well-positioned, and then his second is the shot of a lifetime. We, we obviously thought that um, Justin's ball was in the bunker, you know, not in the water, because I said to Paddy, my caddy, where's that gone? And he said, I saw it bounce, which I saw it bounce. So we assumed it had bounced over the water and gone in the bunker, but it bounced short of the water and went in the water. Now for Leonard, put the ball just left of this green and try to work it in from left to right. He really likes to work that ball from left to right. Oi, 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 now, Mr. Laurie. But he can't believe that. I thought he caught it a little bit heavy. First we had a Frenchman with the championship in his grasp, and now we've got Paul Laurie. So then we didn't really have any choice. The yardage was 221, the pin, and obviously the adrenaline's flowing through you quite a lot. Now what are you doing now? You're one ahead, you're opposition, and nowhere. I'm not so sure the right play isn't to lay the ball up. Well, I was just thinking the same thing, really? whether it's to chip it down with a wedge, or whether to have a bash at it and maybe end up in the right-hand bunkers. For me, at that time, 205, 210 would have been a proper four iron. Uh, so 221 was a big hit. But I knew that, you know, obviously I was adrenaline was flowing through me. I was swinging it nicely. My rhythm was was spot on that day, and just kind of, you know, smooth swing and left edge of the clock, and off it went. Shot of the day, wonderful. Very reminiscent of Tony Jacklin when he hit that wonderful shot into the heart of the green at Royal Lytham St Dan's all those years ago. It was pretty smooth sweet, yeah, it came off just exactly how you'd want it to come off, slightly left of the pin, and then it bounced around about the front edge and just rolled up to, I don't know, four or five feet maybe. And now, the first Scotsman for umpteen years is going to be the champion, and well played, Paul Laurie. And that's when you see me going over the burn with my Wilson umbrella going mental over the brawling because it just hits you that, man, I'm pretty good from there. I've got two from there, I can handle that, no problem. And now we will have the uh, parade of the champion and he's walking up surrounded by TV cameras, surrounded by policemen, by red-jacketed stewards and he's now got to the bridge and he's holding his putter aloft. He is going to be victorious, no question about that now. And he shakes his umbrella. So then you realise that, man, you've just won the old. Amazing. Amazing feeling. Peter. Who would have thought? Well, you know, to give him credit, he did, did everything he needed to do. I mean, the two shots he hit on 18, I mean, were close to spectacular. He doesn't even need to make the putt, you know. I think we both tell him to give you that one. But now comes the moment when Paul Laurie, ranked 159 in the world, shot a 67 earlier today, to equal the best score around Carnoustie this week, has now got around about a four-footer for his birdie to win the Open Championship. And this to finish 3-3 in the playoff here at Carnoustie would be something to tell the grandchildren. I had some beautiful shots that day, so I mean, I didn't feel nervous at all. I felt totally in control. Laurie's the winner. <laughs> it may have been very rubbishy early on. But to finish 3-3 to claim the prize is quite magical. But our sympathies to Vanderbilt, who had it in the palm of his hand, and before he could close the fingers round the handles of the jug, it was snatched away.
he didn't start waving or anything like that. Paul was still quite focused at that point. He's quite a reserved guy, but he didn't kind of wave to the crowd and smile. He kept his head down. Huge applause. The noise was deafening. But he'd won the Open Golf Championship. And I'm not sure even at that moment whether it had really sunk in. The winner of the gold medal and the champion golfer for the year with a score of 290, Paul Laurie. I'm sure you would like to hear the new champion say a few words. If I can get them out, that is. I'd just like to thank the championship committee this week, everyone at the RNA, all my family, my wife, everyone that knows me, which is a lot of you now. I'm a local boy. Thanks a lot. If it had been a, a Scotsman, you would have expected it to have been Monty. And I think the fact it was Paul and just not a real superstar, I think it actually made it even better for a lot of the Scots golf fans that were there watching it. So, yeah, it was tremendous. I said to my boys at the time, look, this is going to be one of the great moments in sport and something you'll hopefully never, never forget for the rest of your life. And it certainly turned out to be one of these iconic moments, really. We couldn't believe what we'd just seen. Somebody had the Open Championship in the hand and basically, uh, I say throw it away, but like I say, I don't like to say that because Paul Laurie won the Open by playing excellent golf in both the playoff and the 18 holes he played previous to that in the final round. The winners of the Silver Quakes in joint second place with a score of 290, Jean Vanderveld and Justin Leonard. Yes, I'm very... Very sad I don't have the cup, which, you know, I, to be really honest, I'm disappointed it's not, it's not sitting somewhere in, in my bathroom or, or somewhere else in my house or in my kitchen, but uh, that's the way it is. And I, and I gave it the best that I could give at the time. Did I make mistakes? Everybody makes mistakes, of course. Did I make more mental mistakes than the others? No, I don't think I did. Uh, I wouldn't have been leading the tournament if I did. It is one of the greatest stories in golf. A local man qualifies for the Open and comes from 10 shots back on the final day to win the great championship. And as if that isn't enough, he was actually changing nappies on the morning that he won the great championship. That's the truth. I probably fed him that morning too. It would have been six months, maybe a bit over six months. So yeah, I would have fed him and changed his nappy and jumped in the car, jumped in my Subaru in Pretza, turbo, down the Canusti, shoe 67, get a jug, shove it in the back seat of the car, drive up the road, watch the playoffs having a beer and fall asleep. Doesn't really get much better than that, I wouldn't have said, would you? The thing is, when you think of 99, so many tend to think of Jean van der Velde in the burn. Now where is he going now? To the front of the green? Yeah, it must be. I don't believe it. He showed how easy it is to lose an Open Championship, but to win it, take something extra, which should always be recognized. It's difficult when the tournament's kind of known for something other than the winner. Stuart Sink has a little bit of that as well. I mean, so many people remember Tom Watson losing in the playoff. It doesn't diminish it in a player's eyes. Paul played an amazing final round and played great in the playoff. But it, it's tough because a lot, most people remember it for what happened on 18 in regulation. It was more a matter of me losing it with that dramatic fashion to anybody else winning it. And again, you know, great performance for Paul and all credit to him to have won it. But really people are like, well, but I mean, did you see what happened? <laughs> but that's at the same time, that's why we look at sports. That's why we do sports. It's, you know, it's for the emotion that this, whichever sport can bring you. He pops it in. The two arms are raised to the sky. And Paul Murray from Aberdeen becomes the first Scot for 14 years to win the Open Championship, a rank outsider. But Paul Murray doesn't mind that. He is the toast of Carnoustie. Yeah, people in this area are, are just, they were, they were just, I mean, it's amazing. We went for a bite to eat out at the Galogi Inn, which is a lovely restaurant near where we live here, just out the road. And when I walked in, the whole place stood up. Started flapping. Oh, man. All restaurant. Stuff like that. It's just amazing, isn't it? Sorry, I'm crying now.
This has been an original audio production from The Open.